You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, Grace. Great to be with you on another Sunday morning. Praise God. I'd like to tell you a story about two buddies named Bob and Earl. Bob and Earl were the two biggest baseball fans in America. And for their entire adult lives, they discussed baseball, they had season tickets, and they even made a pact that whoever died first would try to come back and tell the other if there was baseball in heaven. Well, one summer night, Bob passed away after watching a baseball game earlier that evening. And a few days later, Earl awoke to the sound of Bob's voice from beyond. Bob, is that you? Earl asked. Well, of course it's me, Bob replied. Wow, this is unbelievable, Earl exclaimed. So, so tell me, is there baseball in heaven? Bob answered, well, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which do you want first? Well, tell me the good news first, Earl replied. Well, the good news is that, yes, there's baseball in heaven. Earl said, wow, that's wonderful, Bob. What can possibly be the bad news? Bob replied, you're pitching tomorrow. Church, a lot of people wonder what heaven will be like. In fact, back in 2001, Christian artist Mercy Me released their now famous hit, I Could Only Imagine, which imagines what it will be like to be in the presence of Jesus for eternity. Some of the lyrics read, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. And church, truth be told, there's a lot of things about heaven that are left to the imagination. However, it's also true that God gives us many glimpses of heaven all throughout Scripture to fuel and excite our imaginations. In his book, Heaven, which is by far the most comprehensive and definitive book on the subject to date, besides, of course, Scripture, Randy Alcorn says this, he says, Scripture provides us with a substantial amount of information, direct and indirect, about the world to come. With enough detail to help us envision it, but not so much as to make us think we can completely wrap our minds around it. I believe that God expects us to use our imagination, even as we recognize its limitations and flaws. If God didn't want us to imagine what heaven would be like, he wouldn't have told us as much about it as he does. So rather than ignore our imagination, I believe we should fuel it with Scripture, allowing it to step through the doors that Scripture opens. And church, Scripture has no shortage of open doors when it comes to heaven. In fact, 54 out of the uh, 66 books of the Bible reference heaven. And in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus references heaven about 70 times. So Scripture is not silent on the subject. You see, God reveals more about heaven than most people realize. And he does so to encourage and excite our hearts. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. It says, for our present troubles, our present troubles, and there are many, right? Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a, read this with me, a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we what? We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. 
So church, this morning as we conclude our series on the end times, we're going to fuel our imaginations and fix our gaze on the eternal home that waits those who believe. And it's through our study that we're going to be reminded of an important truth to remember, and it's this. Our future home is a present hope. And so with that, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. As we pray, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. If you don't have your own copy of scripture, it is page 1041 in the Pew Bible in front of you. But let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and just really just touch base on this amazing topic, God, that you've given us. And so, Lord, as we, as we enter into today's study, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me to our people, that your word, God, would speak to all of our hearts. And God, that we would leave here encouraged and closer to Jesus than when we arrived. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So now, before getting into today's study, let's begin by doing one last recap of the major events in the timeline of end times events to kind of trigger your memory on this journey that we've been on over the last six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it's been. So the first major event, uh, which could happen at any moment, is the rapture of the church. This is the first of two phases in the second coming of Christ. And during this phase, Christ is going to appear in the clouds and remove all believers from the world before pouring out his righteous judgment on the earth. Now, following the rapture is a seven-year period called the tribulation period, a time of which unprecedented catastrophic calamity will come upon the earth. And then after this time, the Lord is going to physically return to the earth to rule and reign for a thousand years. We call this the millennial reign. And then after the millennial reign of Christ, there's going to be a final battle with the enemy and a final judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. We talked about that last week. And, and so at this judgment, all those who rejected Christ uh, are going to be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. And then following this final judgment is what we would call the final event in the timeline of end times events. It's the creation of the new heaven and new earth, the eternal state where the arrow's pointing to. And this is the event that we're going to be looking at and talking about this morning. Capiche? All right, so with this context, we're going to read today's passage. We'll break it down. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Follow along with me. And then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Church, a story is, a, is told of a grandfather and his small granddaughter who went out for a walk. And the stars were so magnificent, and their, their lights beamed through the ceaseless sky. And as the grandfather was naming the individual stars and constellations, the granddaughter exclaimed, Grandpa, if the bottom side of heaven is this beautiful, just think how wonderful the top side must be. You see, church, this little girl had a spot-on heavenly perspective. And so in today's text, we're going to get a small glimpse, just a five-verse glimpse, right, of how wonderful the top side of heaven will be. 
In fact, found within today's passage are, are at least three realities concerning the new heaven and new earth. And so let's begin by looking at the first. And it's this. There will be total renovation. Total renovation. Look again at verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You know, one channel that gets a lot of attention in the Butash home is HGTV. Anybody watch HGTV around here? Uh, my family loves to watch these renovation shows where a construction crew enters an old dilapidated house and demolishes it down to, to the studs and the foundation and restores a new and fresh life back into the house. It's amazing to see the reactions of people who walk into their newly renovated home for the first time. Their minds are just blown away. They can't even believe it's actually still their home. Well, church, in many ways, that's what the Lord is going to do to our final heavenly home. You see, shortly after the final judgment, the curtain uh, will fall on time and will begin on, or arise, I should say, on eternity. And during this time, heaven, meaning the cosmos, not God's home, but the cosmos, and earth will undergo a major renovation. You see, the Greek word that's used for new is kainos, which means newness in terms of quality, not necessarily creating something new out of nothing. Likewise, that phrase passed away, it doesn't mean cease to exist, but rather it means to pass from one state to another. In other words, contrary to popular belief, God's intention isn't to, to totally annihilate the present heaven and earth, but rather it's to totally renovate the present heaven and earth to return it to its original, perfect, pre-fallen state just as it was in the Garden of Eden. You see, we're told in Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very what? Good. Now, we got a lot of good in our world today, but we got a lot of bad in our world today, right? And I'm not just talking about people, I'm talking about just the environment. You see, before sin entered the world, the state of the world was perfect. But as soon as Adam's sin, everything changed. His sin brought a curse upon the world, which has impacted all aspects of the present earth, ushering in decay, deterioration, disease, death. But in the new heavens and new earth, the curse will be no more, and all these things will be done away with. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and then 12b, it says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then verse 12 says, The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. You see, that phrase burned up in Second Peter literally means laid bare or exposed. And so it conveys this idea of being uncovered or laid open for exposure. You see, just like a controlled fire is used to burn away debris and dead trees, thus exposing the earth and making way for new growth and thriving vegetation, well, a controlled heavenly fire is going to be used to burn away the old heaven and earth and make way for a new and thriving heaven and earth. Are you with me? In his book, Revealing the Mysteries of Heaven, Dr. David Jeremiah notes, he says, it isn't a matter of utter destruction but of stripping everything away and getting back down to the original elements. What Peter describes will be a purification of the cosmos, a burning away of everything associated with sin and death and the curse and the temporal. The universe will pass through a smelt furnace of God's judgment and will emerge in pristine state, glorified, transformed, 
imperishable, and fitted for eternity. Church, the joyful reactions of those who see their brand new renovated homes on HDTV pale in comparison to the reaction, to our reaction, and what that's going to be when we see our renovated heavenly home. It's going to be unbelievable. I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Who could use some joy? How about an eternity of it? Now, before we move on, we need to address what at first glance appears to be a very joyless statement, especially if you're a beach lover. The end of verse 1 says, and the sea was no more. What are we going to do about no sea? You know, there's nothing quite as stunning as a sunset over the gulf. We've had the blessing of being able to see many, my family and I. And and watching the array of colors uh, disappear into the depths of the ocean waters is breathtaking. And so to think of a world without the sea doesn't seem much like heaven to some people. Which, for me, I could, give, I could take it or leave it. You know what I'm saying? Like, the sea's scary. There's a lot of scary creatures in there. Um, I don't want to get eaten by sharks in heaven. But anyway, if you happen to be one of those people that's really going to miss out on, on the sea, I want to bring you some words of encouragement. You see, the Bible doesn't say that there won't be vast bodies of beautiful water in heaven. It simply says the sea was no more. And if you think about it, 71% of the earth's surface is taken up by huge wastelands of salty sea, right? I mean, even the best parts of the sea, the ones that you and I really enjoy, whether it's riding those waves or watching the sunset, we see a sliver What we enjoy is a sliver of the 71%, right? And so here's the deal. I think God, it appears what God's going to do is he's just going to open up this vast wastelands for for, for us to inhabit and enjoy, make it more enjoyable. And to quote Dr. David Jeremiah again, he said this. he He said, don't worry about the phrase, also there was no more sea. He said, give God a little bit of credit here. Can we give God some credit? For if he made the seas so beautiful and pleasant in the first place, he will certainly design a new world with even greater levels of marvel and magnificence. So it's going to be okay. And this leads us to the second reality of the new heaven and earth. There's going to be total relocation. We got renovation, we got relocation. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, when I was on a missions trip uh, in Peru back in 2010, uh, one of the projects that our team had was to dismantle two separate buildings and carry one piece of the building at a time, several hundred yards, to another location and then rebuild those buildings there. It was a big task. However, what made it easier is we were doing it together as a team, team building, all that kind of stuff, but we did it one piece at a time, got the job done. For those of you that have ever seen a, a, a... relocation of a home. You know how how monumental of a task that is because literally the home is still intact and it's on a truck or trailer or whatever and they got to move that thing to wherever it's going next. Well, in John's vision, more than just a monumental relocation, he sees a magnificent relocation. A relocation of an entire city. A city that is nearly 1,400 miles long as is wide and and is as wide and high as it is long. 1400, 1400, 1400. <laughs> it's big, big city. 
It's the relocation of heaven's capital city, the New Jerusalem. And so quite literally, John sees this heavenly city coming down to earth in this glorious reunion of the spiritual realms and the earthly realms, which up to this point have been separated by sin. However, following God's total renovation, heaven, God's home, and earth are going to come together and forever be one for eternity. These worlds are coming back together. The Apostle Paul spoke of this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. He said, God has now revealed to us his, myster- his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure, and this is the plan. At the right time, read this with me, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Randy Alcorn notes, he says, God's plan is that there will no longer be a gulf between the spiritual and physical worlds. There will be no divided loyalties or divided realms. There will be one cosmos, one universe, united under one Lord forever. This is the unstoppable plan of God. This is where history is headed. And then John's vision continues in verse 3. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In his book, The Happiness of Heaven, it's an old book. I didn't read it. I just found this illustration. But Father John Bodreo tells a story of a kind-hearted king who finds a blind, destitute orphan boy while hunting in the forest. And so the king takes the boy to his palace and adopts him as his son and provides for his care. And he sees that the boy receives the finest education. And the boy, of course, is extremely grateful, and he loves the king, his new father, with all of his heart. So when the boy turns 20, a surgeon performs an operation on his eyes, and for the first time ever, he's able to see. This boy, once a starving orphan, has some years been a royal prince at home in the king's palace. But something wonderful has happened, something far greater than the magnificent food or gardens or libraries or music and wonders of this palace. You see, the boy is finally able to see the father he loves. Well, church, in the new heaven and new earth, we will finally see and fully enjoy the father that we love. Revelation 22.4 says they will see God. Dr. Stephen J. Lawson explains, he says, God's glory will fill and permeate the entire new heaven, not just in one centralized place. Thus, wherever we go in heaven, we will be in the immediate presence of the full glory of God. Wherever we go, we will enjoy the complete manifestation of God's presence. Throughout all of eternity, we will never be separated from direct, unhindered fellowship with God. And friends, whether we realize it or not, that's the one thing we all crave the most. Unhindered fellowship with God. David wrote in Psalm 63.1, he says, Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Friends, in the new heaven and new earth, our spiritual thirst will forever be quenched, and our souls will forever be satisfied. The old hymn in the garden pictures our unhindered fellowship with God nicely, and he walks with me, and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And this leads us to the third reality of the new heaven and new earth. There will be total restoration. 
total restoration. Look at verses 4 and 5. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You know, church, to this day, heaven remains one of the most popular topics in our culture and really even in our world. In fact, countless books have been written on the subject, and many of those books have found themselves on the New York Times bestsellers list. Now, I'm not saying all those books are necessarily good or worth reading, but the very fact that they continue to be so popular is indicative of a longing that is built into every human heart. We long for something more than this. More. And this longing, it it didn't come by happenstance or even circumstance. Yeah, things are terrible down here right now, but that's really not where the longing comes from. It was implanted to us by God himself the moment we were conceived. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You see, God has made us eternal beings, which means we have a longing that could only be filled by things that are eternal. Do you ever save up a bunch of money because you want to buy that thing? whatever that thing is. You save up your money, you work hard because you really want to get that thing and, and finally you, you have enough money and, and you get that thing and, and, you, and, and once you have that thing, you almost kind of feel like, I thought this was going to feel better after I got this thing. You ever feel that way? No matter what the thing is, it could be a pencil, it could be a boat, but whatever it is, it's like, man, I worked really hard and, and I'm not super satisfied. There's a reason for that. Things are cool and fun and might bring you a temporary happiness for a couple of minutes or days. But what ultimately we want is something more, something spiritual. Elizabeth Elliot said, if we were given all we wanted here, our hearts would settle for this world rather than the next. That's why we're so unsettled. People that, that, that pour into what you could only get here, they're so unsettled. They won't admit it, but they're unsettled. She said, God is forever luring us up and away from this one, wooing us to himself, his still invisible kingdom, where we will certainly find what we're so keenly looking for, or keenly long for. And so what do we so keenly long for? Well, beyond enjoying this unhindered fellowship with God, we long for a world free from the pains of sin and death. That's what we long for. Across the board, that's what we long for. One that is filled with goodness and justice and joy and peace. Why do we go on vacation? To have peace. How many times do we come home from vacation and we don't feel rested? You see, we want peace. We want that escape. We want a world without the pains of sin. In fact, ever since the fall of man, all of creation has been yearning for a return to a world without corruption. Romans uh, 8, 22 and 23 says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. 
And we believers, we also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us. As a foretaste of the future, we're still groaning. Why? For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for an eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. I don't know about you, but man, I go to the gym once in a while, and I run a lot, and I don't have the body that I want. I want that new body. It's like snap of a finger, have the new body. It's way too much work going to the gym and running around. Well, Church, in the new heaven and new earth, believers will finally be given what we've been pining for. In a final reversal of the curse, the Lord promises to bring total restoration to all things, making all things new again. He promises to usher in an eternity that is filled with endless joy. No more tears, nor death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Where each day, if you can even call it that, we'll just call it a day because that's what we understand, but where each day is better than the one before. We just never grow tired of the joy that awaits us. Joni Erickson taught us, said, can you hear the sighing of the wind? Can you feel the heavy silence in the mountains? Can you sense the restless longing in the sea? Can you see it in the woeful eyes of an animal? Something's coming. Something better. And so, friends, all this to say, endless bliss awaits those who believe. And so if you find yourself here struggling in the pit of discouragement, let me encourage you to set your eyes on what lies ahead. Because the more we set our eyes on things that are above, the more we study it, the more we speak of it, the more we meditate on it, the more we appreciate it, the more it's going to encourage our hearts and excite our attitudes. Warren Wearsby said, heaven isn't just a destination, it's a motivation. So let me encourage you to find your motivation in the eternity that awaits you. Perhaps the Apostle Paul said it best in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. He said, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Amen? And this brings us back to today's truth to remember. See, our future home is a present hope. But listen, it's only a present hope for those who believe. Right? It's only a present hope. It only, it's only provides you hope now if you're a believer in Christ. Most popular verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16, and it says it right there. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, friend, if you want the assurance and the hope of eternal life, then you must place your faith in Christ. I don't know what else to tell you. you got to place your faith in Jesus. He's offering this free gift to you. And you could do so even now by admitting you're a sinner and asking for God's forgiveness and trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. Because the moment when you place your faith in Christ, you are saved. And you can claim the wonderful promise found in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. And with this verse, I'll close. 
Now we live with great expectation. Let's start over. We're going to read this one together. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. How about it, Grace? Can we praise God for the heavenly home that awaits us? Can we just praise God this morning? Don't lose heart. I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward, and we're going to close by singing about this heavenly home. So you guys, come on forward, and and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to just graze through your word, to just touch base, get, get a small, very small picture of what our heavenly home is going to look like. And so, Lord Jesus, as we await that day as we arrive on eternity's shore, Lord, as, we, as we're living this side of heaven, God, help us to live for you. May heaven be our motivation. And Lord Jesus, when we find ourselves in the pit of discouragement, which we admit is probably more often than we'd like to admit, help us to, to fix our eyes on things above. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.